you have to keep that open dialogue with your customers and just let them know exactly what's going on. And the reality is more often than not, it's the fear of not knowing what's going on or the surprise that comes. You know, in, if, if we have an issue, we can get to it. We can work it out together. But the surprise, sometimes that's too late. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. All right. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capitol Grill City Center with my guest, John Beatty, Vice President and General Manager of Avalara. Absolutely. Avalara. Yep, Avalara. Got it. How are you doing this afternoon? Doing great. Great, great, great. Before getting into it, I wanted to thank everyone that's left reviews in iTunes. And if you want to help out the show, take a few minutes of your time and just leave me a review and I'll read it on the air. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, John, how did you get started in the oil and gas industry? Really? Honestly, it was a little bit luck. Straight out of college, I applied and ended up getting an offer from Anderson Consulting. Okay. And they, back in those days, they told you, pick three offices. And uh, I picked Dallas first because I originally grew up in Dallas. Oh, okay. And second was Austin. And third was Houston. And uh, they said, well, we have jobs in Houston, so you'll be going there. <laughs> so <laughs> And in the Houston market, obviously, they're focused on oil and gas. So uh, right. I started with Anderson Consulting over a couple of decades ago. And, uh, <laughs> it was great. It was a fantastic experience. And I've been in the oil and gas space ever since. Good. Okay. So let's let's talk through that a little bit. Sure, let's sure. talk about your roles there and and yep. what you did exactly. Well, I started out as a developer okay. uh, and actually focused originally in the SAP market. Okay. So w- when I first got the job... Uh, I had picked a couple of different areas I thought I'd really like, be challenging. And they said, well, we're going to make you a developer. And uh, I I honestly, I'll own this today. I've proven myself wrong. In my original interview, I said, I'm not what you would call computer literate. <laughs> and I said, and to be completely honest, I'm, if anything, computer illiterate. <laughs> and they said, don't worry, we'll teach you everything we want you to know. And they did. They They taught me how to develop code, how to design programs, and eventually – worked right up the chain into program project management and program management. So the first 10 years of my career, I actually worked uh, on implementing SAP all around the world in the oil and gas space. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. All right. So what are some of the, give me some stories about that. <laughs> these are my favorite. Well, these were, uh, yeah, those were, they were really wild times. It was the beginning of uh, SAP R3 and uh, we were actually on the first R3 project. What is R3? R3 was when SAP went from mainframe to client server. Okay. And it was revolutionary at the time. And it's really when the SAP market took off in oil and gas. Okay. And then my second project, half of the team ended up leaving and uh, riding IS Oil, which is the oil and gas version of SAP. Okay. So everything we were doing, they were building off of that and deploying it. And left you behind. I'll buy your your lonesome. (laughs) Well, they, uh, no, I moved into a, a different direction. It was great. But I, I mean, I stayed in SAP, but it was fantastic. I mean, those were the, 
the real blood and gut days of SAP when you would, um, you know, people are sleeping under their desk trying to make the go live and, uh, you know, writing programs and things that today that we take for granted, we were writing from scratch back in those early days. That's so, super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some real challenges you had to deal with? Well, the, uh, I think some of the biggest challenges were really understanding what's possible. You know, you, you go into this space and I remember an early manager once told me, he said, no matter what, the customer's always right. And I had a customer that was asking for something which just was not possible. It was, he wanted to basically order, he wanted to report in a particular format. And I said, well, you can have it alphabetically or you can have it numerically, but you can't have it both. Because <laughs> that doesn't the, make sense. <laughs> and my manager said, no, 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 the customers are always right. And then eventually I said, well, you show me how you would do this. And I wrote it on the board and this was before whiteboards, <laughs> but uh, I wrote it on a chalkboard and uh, they looked at me and said, oh, it's not possible. And I said, well, you're right. <laughs> and the customer certainly is, should be your focus, but uh, sometimes you have to help them see what's possible and what's not possible. Right. Kind of the realistic view of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. You want to elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So it was really interesting. So I was implementing SAP, traveled literally around the world. I was in Australia, the Commonwealth of Independent States, like Azerbaijan. I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. I spent a year down in Argentina, which was phenomenal. Yeah? And yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. So I really got to see the world. And uh, previously, before I went to college, I had actually spent eight years in the Marine Corps. Oh. And, you know, I saw the world while I was in the Marine Corps, but I had much better accommodations. Yeah, I would say. Anderson <laughs> Consulting and Accenture, right? So, yeah, I, I spent the first 10 years of my career implementing SAP with Anderson Consulting and subsequently Accenture. And one of the things that I identified or noticed was in our space, in SAP, no one had a good tax solution for oil and gas. Mm -hmm. You know, back in the early days of SAP, you had, uh, you know, some good tax solutions that were focused on sales and use, but everyone ignored oil and gas on the excise side. And the reason was a lot of the early transactions or systems, they focused on transactional volume efficiency. Okay. And if you look at a typical oil and gas company, 80% of their transactions might be sales and use, uh -huh. and only 20% really related to excise. Okay. It's, it's a rule of thumb, but it's not exact science. But, uh, but the problem you have is 80% or 90% of your total tax liability is driven by excise. Gotcha. What is excise? Please explain that to me because I don't know. So um, <laughs> basically we're talking about, uh, I'll break it down from the beginning. We okay. have what we focus on are indirect taxes. Okay. So Avalara is a global indirect tax software company. And when you look in the space of indirect taxes, you have typically sales and use and excise. So first of all, sales and use is like, let's say you go down to the corner and you go to the gas station and you buy a candy bar. Okay. And, you know, the candy bar is 99 cents, but you pay a little more because you pay the sales tax. Right. And right there on your invoice, it says, this is how much you pay in tax. Right. It's a right. It's based upon a location. And that's it. So, like, you know, we typically think of our state sales tax. Right. Excise is an extra tax on certain luxury goods. Sometimes it's referred to as a luxury tax, but typically certain products this is a tax based upon the volume of that product that you might sell. Interesting. So when we buy fuel at the pump, we know we pay a lot of taxes, right? Yeah. So, and it's not just 
the price of the fuel, and then one excise tax. Depending on where you are, it could be – there might be a special tax like a, a loading fee, a storage fee. There might be a county, state, federal, special jurisdiction. You know, we have a – there's a location up here in Conroe where there's a developer, and they're basically developing housing and some shopping, but there's a special provisional tax right there in that area. So anything you sell in there has another – it's another jurisdiction. Now I see why there needs to be software in Absolutely. order because that's yeah. incredibly complicated. Right, right. <laughs> well, and that's what – this was um, – it was one of these things that uh, I saw it as a focus. And, you know, when we go back 15 years ago, we were building custom solutions to address these needs. And there was no real software application for it. And I was really fortunate at the time I – I don't know if I would say I was an authority, but I was speaking at a couple of different conferences about the challenges for tax. I led the global indirect tax design for one of the super majors, developed a custom solution for another super major. And I kind of got pulled into this area, the specialty area around tax. And then I was uh, actually working with a company at the time called Zytax. Mm -hmm. And when I left Accenture, they asked me to come run Zytax. So I did. And, uh, Loved it. I was there for about four years. We focused on really building out that solution for the market. When I went back to my original bosses, I said, hey, let's let's build a program here and let's build an application. Everyone will want it. And the first question they gave me was, is it 10 or $15 million per project? And Always comes down to money. Exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I remember at the time I said, well, no, but there are certainly 10, 2 or $3 million projects. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, at the that time, seems like that su- should suffice. Yeah, and that didn't even include all of your small, medium, uh, you know, small and medium sized businesses, right? Independent right. refiners and people that could use it. And then we ended up expanding that into commodity trading. Oh, yeah, because what had happened is we built this program out, and a lot of people had already built custom solutions and SAP around oil and gas. But at that same time, in the commodity trading space, you had a lot of the major banks which realized if they went below the rack and started breaking bulk. And to explain that, you know, previously, large banks had large physical commodity trading floors. And this was all long before subprime lending and oh. a lot of them got out of. I used to be a loan processor. See? So, yeah, right, right when the crash hit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I understand. So basically, you know, prior to that, they would do large bulk trades. They, all right, I'm going to buy a large bulk shipment of refined products and sell it to a super major. What they realized is if they took possession of that product and they went below the rack and they parsed it out, they would get a lot greater margin. But when you do that, the tax requirements just go through the roof. There, there are all kinds of additional tax requirements. The minute you take ownership, the minute you store it, based upon how you transport it, what volume, and where you are. And a number of different parameters can impact what that tax requirement is and what applies. Yeah, and new laws and new administration and everything changes. And that's that that just, for someone to handle that, it just screams human error. Absolutely. And, you know, we had, we had at the time, we had excise client managers that were pulling their hair out. They just said, this is, it's not at all like we had last month before we broke bulk. And fortunately, we were there. I remember being at a conference. It was a global, one of the big four consulting firms had a 
global conference in Europe and I went into the commodity trading session and I felt sorry for the guy giving the, the presentation because he said, everyone knows that there's no tax solution for excise in the commodity trading space for oil and gas. And I was in the back row and I remember raising my hand. I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. And he said, yeah. And I said, I have one. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I had three people sitting over to my left across the aisle and they were all looking at me and they're like, hey, have you got a card? <laughs> and uh, two of them became customers. That's awesome. Yeah. And the third would have been, but it was actually, we had redlined a contract, gone all the way. And I remember getting a phone call and uh, it was Lehman. Oh. So, but still it, it took off and did great. Great. So let's, let's talk about your role now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I said, back then when I was at Zytax, had a great time and I ended up actually moving and I went into commodity trading software. And, uh, it and was you a, stayed in Houston, right? I did stay in Houston. <laughs> yeah, I've been in Houston ever since I uh, graduated college. Awesome. Or at least I've had a residence here. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, I uh, did commodity trading software for a few years. And then I went into consulting, did that for about two or three years. And about two and a half years ago, I reached out to Avalara. And what had happened was six years ago, Avalara acquired Zytax, the original company. I was oh, trying. okay. So I reached out to the CEO and said, what do you think about coming back? And they were very receptive and brought me back and I'm the general manager. And I run the excise vertical for Avalara. Very good. Yep. Very good. All right. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience through all this experience, what would it be? No surprises. <laughs> I know, I, it, it sounds simple. When I was a young man and I made corporal in the Marine Corps, I had an old crusty master sergeant told me one day, he said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. He'll carry you through the rest of your life. He said, no surprises. And it's true. It, it couldn't be more true today than it was then. And, uh, you know, I find that especially when you're dealing with customers. You know, very often I'll have young people that are – they want to get it fixed, and they're going to take it all on themselves. And before you know it, things are out of control. You have to keep that open dialogue with your customers and just let them know exactly what's going on. And the reality is, more often than not, it's the fear of not knowing what's going on yep. or the surprise that comes. You know, in, if, if we have an issue, we can get to it. We can work it out together. But the surprise, sometimes that's too late. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So what book influenced you the most? You know, it'd be too canned if I said the guidebook for Marines. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I think, honestly, that's rough. I, I, I read a lot. And, you know, and you, you have all these books like Leadership Principles of Attila the Hunt or anything from Maxwell. And, right. Uh, I'm the guy they write those books for, <laughs> stuff like that. I would think the most significant book was Probably one bugle, no drums, and it was actually a story around the Korean War. And it's and it's really a, it's not so much about you know, military strategy, but just the intestinal fortitude that was required by everyone to be successful. It's it's mostly about the Chosan Reservoir and some of the leadership that was displayed. Interesting. Yep. Mm -hmm. Very good. What would you say is your most used business tool? My phone. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's everybody's <laughs> yeah. personal business, everything. Yeah, it's funny. I think I think maybe in the first five years, it would have been my laptop. 
Well, once you got a laptop. Well, right, right? exactly. <laughs> and uh, then the next five, it was Excel. And, yeah. Yep. But then now, yeah, today it's my phone. It's uh, I, I I tell people all the time, and uh, I, I I don't know if my wife's going to hear this, but I'll tell her, pick up the phone, don't text, call them. Yeah. And I don't mean text them. Pick up the phone and talk. Yeah. Yep. It's a lot more forward than a text. Yeah. Well, you and you can interpret a lot more, right? And, you can hear the emotion in the voice, and and which is what, actually why I conduct these interviews in person. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's yeah, great. because over the phone is it's it's actually a little slightly different, but I can see your face, <laughs> and that helps me. Who would you say is your most respected competitor? In our space, we don't we don't really have direct competition. I feel. Uh, I mean, this is a very complex solution. In fact, very much so. (laughs) Absolutely. And we've invested over 20 years in this. Um, There are small people, small players that are trying. And and in fact, that's one of my greatest frustrations is somebody hangs a shingle on their garage and says, hey, I have a solution. And, you know, someone buys into it. You know, we're the guys that have to come in and clean up the mess afterwards. Right. When somebody gets a penalty and interest finding for, you know, one million or they find out that the state of Texas is going to yank their license because the filing didn't work correctly and it hadn't worked for quite some time. You know, when you have 20 years of knowledge capital invested in a product, you can depend on it. And so, you know, I, I don't really feel like we have direct competition. And, you know, I actually think I'd look forward to it. I, you know, I think competition is best for everyone. I'm one of those guys that thinks. So what this John is, is saying is bring it on. Yeah, we're ready. <laughs> Excellent. What's your most important lesson learned? Accountability. Own it. If you've made a mistake, just be forthright, direct, talk to your customer, and own it. I've never had a situation where if I've taken accountability, the client respects that. And if you don't know, tell them. Yeah. I had a situation once on a project where I came in and a friend of mine that I worked with, we came in and we had 15 other colleagues that we worked with on our floor and there was no one there. And I thought, wow, there was a meeting somewhere and we, we forgot or we missed it. And we went downstairs, talked to one of our clients and said, what's going on? They said, Oh, they, we sent them home. I said, what do you mean? They said, no, we had a meeting last night and we sent everyone home. We didn't like them. Oh, and I said, well, why are we here? (laughs) Are we not supposed to be here? They said, no, no, no. We like the both of you. (laughs) Wow. And I said, well, why? And they said, you don't. And um, can I say bullshit? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They said, you don't bullshit us. When you don't know something, you tell us. And then you ask to explain it. And we like that. (laughs) So we said, okay, great. We're still employed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Very small party. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Got a little lonely up on that floor, though. I I guess so. (laughs) No, but I think that's really the most important lesson is own it and uh, whatever it is, good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's only, there's only room to improve, right? Yeah. I think we need more accountability in our space. I think we need more accountability in a lot more spaces than, yeah, just in general, but I'm not going to. Get on my, I'm going to get off my soapbox. There you go. <laughs> so what's your favorite podcast? Uh, yours, obviously. Oh. Right? <laughs> you I'll know, let that one go. I, yeah. I, I, was that a canned question? Was I supposed to answer? No. Uh, I, you know, I'm a big fan of the TED Talks. I, I really like the TED Talks. So. I think everybody really does. Yeah. Awesome. 
All right. So because I want our listeners to be well-dressed and most importantly safe, be sure to go to www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast to win a Bulwark FR shirt and base layer. No purchase necessary to win. See official rules for details. Well, thank you so much for joining me, John. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Avalara, how can they go about doing that? The easiest way is to go to the website or just contact me directly. And do you have, you have a LinkedIn profile? Absolutely. I have a LinkedIn profile. And, you know, it's John Beatty uh, in Houston with Avalara. And, Perfect. Uh, and by all means, feel free to call. I pick up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. And we'll make sure to put links in the show notes and everything. Perfect. And then let's see. Events on deck. We have the OGGN happy hour every last Tuesday of the month at the Canon from 6 to 9 p.m. And then we have the SPE GCS Intercorporate Top Golf Tournament February 21st at Top Golf Katy. It's a team building network event, so that, that should be fun. All right, so that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.